that talk is about to begin Hey, 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 come on in Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Stephen Means, Nathan Baird, and Drew Gillis. We got to talk to a couple of players. Talk with Kyle McCord. We talked with Cody Simon, and we talked with Emeka Abuka during Ohio State's off week. They will be back next Saturday at home against Maryland, but off week this week, so a couple of practices. Coaches out on the road doing recruiting stuff, but I want to get into Kyle McCord because I thought we got to do with him, Nathan, the thing that we were doing with C.J. Stroud after he had gotten through the loudness of the first couple of weeks for him where it was maybe he wasn't playing as well and you know the shoulder and all that stuff once we got into the nitty-gritty of he's QB1 and we just got to talk ball with CJ Stroud and it felt like every time we talked with him we learned something new Nathan I thought that happened for Kyle McCord today he's clearly QB1 he's played four games some decent opponents and then one big game but there was a lot of just figuring out his process just he was talking ball today, and I thought it was really refreshing to say, what are some of the stuff that Kyle McCord said today? Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I thought it was, you're starting to, each time we talk to him, fold out some of the, hey, first time, huh? What's that? And that there was still going to mm-hmm. be some of that from this interview, even though we did talk to him right after the game, because it, it was going to be interesting to hear him reflect on that game, having watched film, having had time to process it. And there was just a lot to talk about from that game, whether it's talking about the third and 19 play or talking about the interception he almost threw on that same drive. And like, there was a lot of things to sort of sift through talking about the bracketed coverage that he faced all game with Marvin, like a lot of things that were just like football X and O's things, but, but also some stuff about like, and I, I wanted to kind of hear him talk about that stuff too. And this would be maybe the last time because now, the next big game won't be your first big game. The next big road game mm-hmm. won't be your first big road game. And just playing Penn State for the first time isn't quite the same as, or even, it will be something special about the Michigan game, I suppose. But as it relates to this, though, just to hear him talk about the end result that we've all seen and that we all suspected might be coming, which was just the way that he could sort of stay calm and collected and keep it together, his composure in the fourth quarter of that game, in the on the final drive, how that started earlier in the week. And we had tried to ask him about this when we talked to him earlier, and we've talked to him three times in the past week, which is kind of unusual That's for true. any Ohio State quarterback or any Ohio State player, really, to get them. You know, we talked to him last Wednesday, so three times in the span of eight days. I had sort of asked him last week, like, hey, do you change your mental approach this week at all? And he kind of said, not really. But then he did say, and maybe this is still something he would do every week, but like, trying to sort of project himself into the atmosphere, into the environment, and and visualize what was going to happen in that game and problems you might have to solve in the moment. I think that is probably the, in, the key ingredient to then what you see in the end result, which is a, a, a guy who looks very much like he isn't rattled by this, and maybe it's because he's experienced it in his head all week before he gets to that game on Saturday. So, Andrew, he did get into that third and 19 call. Mecca answered some questions about it as well. You're going to be writing about that for the site. Just take us through Kyle McCord's mind. Third and 19, you're down 10 to 14 in a game, and you have to have it. Take us through Kyle McCord's mind and what he had to say about that. Well, you know, they mentioned, you know, both of them. I I, I don't know if it was just Kyle. I think, <clears throat> excuse me, I, th- I think both of them kind of mentioned, you know, that's a moment where you're not really thinking about what's kind of going on in the moment. You know, they're not 
oh god this is a huge play or oh you know this is this is big or this is whatever you know they both kind of mentioned that um you know you just you just play the game and, and you see what you get and um you know kyle talked about the the look that they got was quarters and you know he was able to fire the strike in there obviously and, and that set up the game winning play so you know i thought emeka was more illuminating on that play as well because you know, he, he talked about the trust that he had in Kyle. And, you know, he said, look, Kyle's the calmest person that is on the offense at that moment in time. You know, Kyle's the one that, you know, nobody's worried about, nobody's concerned about, you know, you just look at him and he's just this even keeled guy. And, you know, you deliver a strike and, you know, Emeka said that that is a play that you don't really get to practice a lot. And for good reason, because that's not, you know, the the cliche of there ain't, there ain't many plays in the playbook for third and blank. I mean, that was kind of it. You know, there aren't many plays in the playbook for third and 19. And so for Kyle to do that and run a play that isn't really run a lot, you know, Emeka said they kind of run through it on Fridays, but you don't really get a chance to do that in a game, especially a game of that magnitude. That's really key. And, um, you know, I think. Kyle can talk about, you know, remaining even keeled and what he saw, but I think kind of how others viewed him in that particular moment is, is honestly more illuminating to me and, and kind of how, how other people saw that unfold on the offense. I liked Kyle McCord took us through his process and we had got, like I said, we had gotten to this point with CJ where he's okay. What are you doing? Pre-snap. What are you looking at when the ball snaps, all this different stuff. And he brought up the, the, Kyle brought up there are always guys on the field who can't lie to you. And he didn't go he, he there whether it's a safety, whether it's a linebacker, whether it's defensive end, there are guys that you that's where his eyes go first when he's trying to figure out what a coverage is in pre-snap. Those guys that can't lie to you because whatever they're doing is always going to give it away, whether it's cover two or man coverage, or if it's a blitz or it's a zone blitz or a man blitz, whatever it is. And then you go from there and that standpoint i think that's what's going to be more interesting here is the calm stuff is interesting and it's going to show up even more when we get to as american book said they have two top 10 opponents left on their schedule in michigan and penn state one on the road and one at home but the way kyle mccord is starting to see the field the way he's starting to you know visualize things in the pre-snap and how that's showing up when they actually start playing that's something i'm more interested in going forward here now that he is more comfortable in this role and I thought we got to see some of that today. We got to get CJ's mind is what made him special. And I thought today with Kyle, we got to get a peek into his mind and what maybe is special about that. Just as much as, I mean, I asked him when's the last time he's been rattled by something. He said middle school. And I asked Emeka Buka kind of the same thing. When's the last time he's seen him not even kill? And he said, after the game, when Kyle McCord was talking his stuff a little bit, Nathan. Wait, I, one thing I thought that McCord said that, that struck my ear, um, he was sort of asked, what did you learn in these first couple of weeks that maybe you didn't already know? And I thought it was interesting that he said almost that he felt like he needed to start taking some of his work and some of his some of the things he did, his diligence, like more public, not to us, but to the team. And maybe mm. I'm mishearing some of that because those guys are pretty close quarters. I think a lot of the times it's maybe hard to miss guys, but that he learned how important it was that people saw him putting in a lot of work. And, you know, Donovan Jackson had the comment last week about how when he would um, McCord was like first one in last one out and he would be leaving and see McCord sitting in the hot tub flipping through film 
and Jackson would say like, Hey man, you need to go home. And McCord would just pretend like he didn't hear him and just keep going. And like, <laughs> and I think that he under is when you're so focused on doing the things you have to do technically as a quarterback to win that job. And people have been asking questions about the, the whole leadership side of things, the personality side of things. It's not like that was never an element. But I wonder if once the once Ryan Day finally points at him, whether you it gives you some some agency to like now you can truly embrace that leadership role and now you can really take it onto your shoulders. And you're starting to hear it's not like anyone along the line has ever said we don't believe in either one of these quarterbacks. They've obviously all said the right things as it comes to that. But I think you're also starting to hear if you listen the way that these players talk about Kyle McCord with a certain measure of respect. And they talked about CJ Stroud that way too. I imagine if Devin Brown had won the job, they would also be talking about Devin Brown that way. I don't have any reason to think not, but there's a, Mm -hmm. there's a, an X factor that's involved, right? Where that you're waiting for them to talk about guys um, in a certain way. And you're starting to, there's just a vibe that you're getting from this team. And I think that last drive against Notre Dame is only going to enhance it, that they know that there's only so many guys in college football, really, that can rip that throw to Mecca Buka on third and 19 and set up the game-winning touchdown. Like, there aren't that many of them. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of guys who can throw the interception he almost threw. So he does have to weed that out of his game. Like, that that has to get tamped down, and he'd be the first to admit it. That he made a bad read there. He did. He was talking about it. Like, made a bad read, and uh, one he wishes he had back. But he did get it back. Like, he did get to make the next play and made the most of it. So... I, I just that struck me that he kind of very consciously realized not that he has to like show off, but that it it's important to be like out in front with the things that you're doing because of the example that it sets and because you know that there's plenty of guys on this team that have been now two or three years out in front of this team with how hard they work, whether that's Marvin Harrison Jr., whether that's Tommy Eichenberg go on down the list. There's, there's there's plenty of guys that fit that description. And McCord has to catch up a little bit there just because he's been a little bit more in the shadows. But that I think a combination of on-field play and those sorts of behind-the-scenes things are maybe meshing together right now in an important way. And that it's it's feeds into a, a sort of roster-wide belief in the job that this guy can do. There's almost an element of there's the things you have to do to earn the right to sit in that chair and be Ohio State starting quarterbacks. And then there's the work you have to do while you're in the chair. Right. Those are two very different jobs because one is almost, okay. this dude just like good enough to be our starting quarterback. And the other one is, is this guy what we need to be the face of? Because that's what you are when you're a quarterback. You're the face of a team. You're a face of a program, face of a franchise, regardless of the level it is. Now that he's not trying to battle to that job anymore of trying to just win the job we're seeing the face of the franchise stuff start to come out whether it's just having a conversation where you're asking him football questions and trying to pick his mind of the football player or it's how he's handling himself in like you just said in moments when this being more public with things or just answering questions about things that other players on the position team don't have to necessarily answer like he got asked about Notre Dame and their having 10 people on the field on back-to-back plays. He said he noticed it after the first play. And he said, I knew that we had to run the ball in the second play after we get got the sprint out because he noticed it 
And then by the call that he got from the coaching staff, he realized the guys up top, Brian Hartline and Ryan Day, all noticed it. So everybody was on the same page there. But then he also you know, had his snarky comment of, it's not our fault. <laughs> yeah. Those guys only had 10 guys on the field. So a little bit of personality today from Kyle McCord as well, Andrew. Right. I was going to say, I was just going to say that. Yeah. I, I, cause I was the one that asked Kyle that cause I was curious. Like, I wish we had either Hartline or, or, or day today because I'm, I'm fascinated by that question of did Notre or did Ohio state know because they, they didn't know for the first play. They, they couldn't mm-hmm. have known because if they did know that, they, that Notre Dame had 10 players on the field and it wasn't like they were missing a safety, you know, because they were, you know, they were missing a defensive lineman at the one yard line. So I I'm fascinated by that question because the first play they didn't know, like nobody knew on, on either side of the ball, because if they did know, they would have immediately checked to a run or they would immediately have called the run. Now, Kyle said, yeah, I did kind of notice there was a soft spot on the defense right there, but we had already called the play. So I think Kyle, I don't know if he knew there was 10, but he knew that there was an opening. And I'm curious what the conversation was like. And I don't know if we'll ever know this, um, what, what, or what happened truthfully, because Frankly, if I was Ryan Day or Brian Hartline or anyone on the offensive staff, I would say, frankly, yeah, we were screaming down trying to get a check run play because we knew that they had 10 players on the field and we were all we were all over it and blah, blah, blah. Because if they didn't know, you know, then then it makes them look then then makes them look a little bad. So uh, I don't know if we'll ever know, but I'm just I'm endlessly fascinated by the end of game kind of management there because you not only do you get down to the one by throwing the ball down the field, you throw a, you throw a, like the rollout play and that ends with three seconds left. And then you have one play left and then you decide that you're going to run the ball after having thrown it all the way down the field. And I know Steven's going to smile that, you know, throw the ball, but they call the run play. So it's like, do you call the run play because you knew that Notre Dame had 10? Do you call the run play because you were scared about, you know, the, the DBs kind of doubling Marv. And if you're going to go, if you're going to go to anybody in that moment, you go to Marv, are you scared about the blitz? Uh, The last two plays of that game are fascinating to me. So uh, yeah, Kyle said, you know, it's, it's not our problem that they had 10 players on the field. um, And I guess we'll never know. It's a fun alternate history. I think, you know, does, does, do they get into the end zone if they have 11 players on the field? Uh, what does that mean for Ohio state season? How, what does our podcast sound like right now? Like it's, it's a very, it's a very unique, uh, butterfly effect of what happens in that moment. Maybe this is a very generalized question. I'm just, I'm workshopping this as we do the thought. What was your biggest takeaway from McCord? Just as we're getting to know him as Ohio State starting quarterback. Doug asked the question, and we've been writing about, I mean, I wrote something, I asked Ryan Day about it like two weeks ago about the extraordinary trait concept. Yeah. And we've all been monitoring that for when it would show up, right? And Doug asked, do you think that's your extraordinary trait? Just like the cold, the calm, cool, collected presence in those stressful moments and common core was like yeah i think it might be i think he realizes that about himself and that's an interesting thing to be self-aware of i suppose because it's not like something you can maybe like activate or not it's something that you um it's just maybe your baseline thing that you then go in and operate with and you know if you're if you're a person of skill level x 
and there's another quarterback who has skill level X, and you have that gene or that characteristic, and that guy doesn't, uh, what does that translate into in that moment? And you'd like to say it translates into what you saw for Ohio State, and it translates into the game-winning drive. It very did almost still translate into a game-ending interception, which is a thing that we have to, I think, remember. But they, it, when when given a second chance, he capitalized on it, and I think that's probably not true of, of every quarterback. And I didn't think that that play was indicative of him not having it together. I think he just made a mistake, as you do sometimes when you throw the ball 40 times or 30, however many times, in a game. Like You throw an errant one once in a while against a good defense, they make a play, and it almost goes the other way. So um, I thought it was, you could see from him, a a grasp of maybe he has that that other people don't and that not only does that give the team a certain confidence i think it maybe gives him a certain confidence too to know that it's uh you can't like have it on your mind i don't think like so you can't be self-aware of it in the moment but to know that where other people might falter Hey, falter's not the right word because he could, again, still not win the game there. Where other people tighten up, like we're going back to that conversation from last week, right? Where other mm-hmm. people might tighten up, he can stay loose. He can stay um, just in the flow of the game as if it's an, a, the normal procedure that they're always going through. I thought that was an interesting uh, thing to hear from him, that he just he understands that about himself and that that might be a strength and that it you know as long as he's putting in the work and improving in all of those fundamental ways and in reading defenses and in understanding Ohio State's offense and all of those things that he doesn't maybe have to worry about whether he's going to just get flustered or seize up in the moment that he's going to he'll be able to apply that as if it were middle of the first quarter there's an element with his his special trait is also something that can just be a personality trait you either have that or you don't because if you're a calm, cool, collected football player, you're probably like that in your real life. And he is. The way he handles talking to us is very similar to how he is out there on the field. And it's a very different place than where we were with C.J. Stroud. C.J. was awesome as a quarterback here, obviously. And he's gotten off to a very solid start in the NFL as well. But he also wore his heart on his sleeve, whether he was talking to us or early on in his career where any bad throw, you could see his reaction out there. He just wasn't, and that's his personality. He's just a different type of personality and different type of makeup. It doesn't make one a better quarterback or the, or the other one. It just means it's different personalities. And I wanted to know that. So I pulled him off to the side. He's had a small conversation with him of how much of the cool, calm, collected, special trait is because of your preparation. You know, the film study, the on-practice field, the routes on air in the, in the offseason. How much of it is just you're very prepared for the moment and you know the answer to the test versus this is just also your personality, Kyle, that you are this calm person who never really gets rattled by every anything. And he leaned more towards the personality part. Now, the preparation obviously helps with that, but it's just as much of a, who he is as a person. But also he mentioned he has been meeting with a, a, a mental person who is help, a mental health person, who's helping him through this. That's a lot of athletes do that nowadays because they are put in high-pressure situations, and so they need to work out a lot of that stuff. But he said that's really helped him as well in staying calm and learning how to deal with his emotions in those situations. So this is a guy who has a special trait of you're not going to rattle him in moments where most people get rattled. But he's also made sure that he's maximized that skill. And what that meant against 
Notre Dame was with little less than 90 seconds left on the clock. He takes the field and he drives down the field. It's the third and 19, completing that play. The understanding the moment of, oh, there's 10 guys out here. Maybe we need to run the ball. And giving Ryan Day that good information, as Ryan Day likes to call it in those situations. Staying calm in an environment where you probably shouldn't have stayed calm in. That's what we saw on Saturday. That's a combination of the preparation he puts in, his personality, but also finding ways to maximize that personality. Andrew, anything else that we learned? What did you learn from about Kyle McCord? on Wednesday afternoon that it's not so much to just to kind of add on to that, that it's not so much just staying calm and, you know, what, you know, staying, you know, staying, staying even keeled and, you know, your heart rate doesn't go up and, and all that other kind of stuff. I think that that, those are like fun little anecdotes, but yeah, you know, you can point to a couple of different moments. You know, he mentioned the, the interception that probably should have thrown that went right through Notre Dame safety's hands on that last drive. You know, you just complete a fourth and seven and he throws what was almost the game ending pick and he's able to bounce back from that. And you have the intentional grounding and he's able to bounce back from that and you're able to handle the good and the bad. But I think more than just being calm, it's a confidence that you don't necessarily like you have to listen for it right it's kind of in between the lines a little bit and maybe i'm making too much of this maybe this is just something dumb but he had a sweater on today that said it was in the shape of the built ford tough logo and it said built ohio tough like that was not subliminal messaging like i think that that was pretty intentional Mm. of what i i don't know like I, i i looked at that as this is a guy who knows what the moment was, who is well aware of everything that happened over the weekend and a couple of days before, and he is he he knows the buttons to push, and that is that's a confidence thing, right? Like you you can't just you know you can't do something half heartedly and kind of expect it to work, and and I think that that's what I got from watching him on Saturday and kind of just listening to the way that he says certain things, um, you know, the way that he talked about some of those plays, the way that he talked about, you know, the third and 19, the way that he talked about the fourth and seven, you know, the way that he talked about what he saw from, from Notre Dame secondary, you know, he was like, yeah, Notre Dame secondary was the best secondary we've played and they're really good. And they, here's what they were doing to take away Marv. And it just, he just took everything in stride and from a confidence perspective and from a swagger perspective, it just, for, for me, you, it's, it's, it's not somebody where it's just going to ooze out of him and you can just tell it right when he walks in the room, but it's something that you listen to as my Apple watch starts talking to me. Um, it's, it's not something that you're going to pick up immediately, but it is something that you're going to pick up once you start to listen to him talk and, and kind of how he carries himself and what he says. Yeah, those built for uh, toughness shirts. I think that was maybe the theme of them during Matt drills back in the winter because yeah. I've seen a couple but of those people wearing wear those today. shirts. He might have just been. Yeah, he also okay, might have hey, look. He could have picked out a, a sweater out know, of his closet. I don't know, but it, I, mean, I don't know. It just at least at the very least, it was ironic that he wore it today after everything that happened over the weekend. It's interesting you had that conversation with him today, and he mentioned the sports psychologist because I had talked. I did a story on him back in the spring, and somebody yeah. I talked to had mentioned that. And yep. I did not actually, I talked to a lot of people around Comic Core for that story. I didn't have like a sit down one-on-one with him for that story. 
And I, I was wondering if that was ever going to come up. I haven't had a chance really to, like, as you did today, pull him aside and ask him about it. So I think that's a really interesting detail because I don't know if that's something, it's obviously something Ohio State makes available to all athletes. Um, yep. And this, I want to make sure that it, it gets framed the right way because it's not, uh, my understanding of it was not, oh, there's a crisis here. Oh, this guy needs mm-hmm. mental health help. It was more like just having an extra coach. It's like it's like a yes. mental coach that he was going to. Yeah. And there's been a long line. The first time I remember hearing about this was uh, when the Atlanta Braves were really, really, really good in the early 90s. So when you guys were going to be born someday, um, they had a pitcher named John Smoltz. You guys can see on TV now. I know and, who John Smoltz is. You're talking to a baseball and, fan. And and uh, he was the first guy that I ever heard talk about going to a sports psychology person. And it was just about like, you know, uh, things like this, like, you know, um, how to, to just process things and, and handle things. So I, I thought that was an interesting, uh, I'm glad you had that conversation with him and, and he can mm-hmm. talk about that because I think that's an interesting note that, um, that not a lot of people would know. And that, uh, it's something that he was doing. Not now. It's not like he just started now. Like he was doing this yep. as far back as whenever I talked to people for that story. So we're talking about, what was that February or March? Like, you know, mm-hmm. even maybe even before spring practice that was going on. So it's been a, a part of just his routine now for a while and um, uh, good on him. Like I thought that's interesting for him to talk about. I'm sure there's other athletes and I'm sure there's other football players at Ohio state that are doing something similar. But my, my impression of it was this was someone that he found outside of the Ohio state apparatus. This is like a personal yeah. person that he goes to. So, yeah, that's how he talked about it, and I'm glad you mentioned. It. It's not because he's there's something wrong. It's it's for it's no different for him than getting treatment after a game. You know, it's just part of right. his normal routine as an athlete. And it's it's been around for a while, as you just mentioned. It's been around before since the '90s, but it's become a more prevalent thing over maybe the last decade. Especially in the NBA, you got guys like Kevin Love and Demar Derozan being more public with it. It's become a more normal thing to to see, even if it's been around maybe longer than that. We'll take a quick break there. Speaking of treatments for athletes, we did see the sighting of an important Ohio State football player who was doing what he always does in the Woody, and so we'll reveal who that is when we come back here on Buckeye Talk. Get the text, 614-350-3315. We were in the Woody on Wednesday afternoon talking with players, and the Monarch machine, per normal, was in the middle of the field, which means some wide receivers were getting ready to come out and work on it, which means we saw a certain Marvin Harrison Jr. He had something around his ankle, but he was out there getting his normal work in, and the first place we mentioned anything about it was on the text. Sign up for the text, 614-350-3315. Two-week free trial, three ninety nine. after that. Nathan, we didn't actually like, talk to anybody about Marvin Harrison's ep- update, but... We're not doctors, but given the fact that he's out there doing his normal routine four days after his ankle went left, just, you know, is well, that a good sign, I guess, for a team who doesn't have to play football this weekend? The best sign was that he just went right back at the game. That was obviously the best sign that <laughs> things true. structurally are fine for Marvin Harrison Jr. and that he can he can move forward. Now, what he did today was just him, Reese Stocksdale, and Xavier Johnson just catching passes sure. off the monarch. Let's let's make like flat-footed facing That's forward true. catching passes. And 
So I would not call that. I mean, that's part of his routine. I don't know. That's always the extent of his Wednesday afternoon routine. Um, he wasn't running routes. He wasn't out there getting after it, uh, but he was doing work. And I thought that is, it's certainly not a bad sign. I didn't see anything today. That was a bad sign from Marvin Harrison Jr. Did have appear to be wearing something under the sock of his right foot. I assume it's just tape, so athletic tape or some kind of brace, maybe something structurally working down there. Um, I would imagine, and I, you know, they're, they're pretty closed lipped about what's going to happen at a practice that hasn't happened yet. Um, I, it, he either was going to practice as normal or in a reduced way this week, or maybe you back him off, but you can, because that's what the bye week is for. So um, I, I would say that right now we have no indications that this is going to be something that lingers from a playing standpoint, but I would, anytime there's somebody dealing with an injury, it's obviously something that even if he doesn't appear on the injury, the status report next week, we're going to keep an eye on him in pregame just to see how things are looking. Cause that'll be our first chance to actually see him play football again. It's going to be, you know, a full two week break before that gets between games. It would seem like a very perfectly timed bye week for Ohio state, because that was a pretty physical game. Yep. Contrary to the belief of others, it was a pretty physical game. And then you know, your best player gets hurt like that. And the fact that he doesn't have to play football for 14 days also helps. We also talked with Cody Simon and we also talked with Emeka Buka. Anything else off of, we were there for 90 minutes and we only got three players. But that's because it's the off week and players are probably not lining up to talk with the media on their off week. But anything else interesting that you guys heard coming out of Wednesday afternoon? I wanted to, I, I thought it was good that they gave us Cody Simon. I thought that was an interesting. Mm-hmm decision to give us him because he only played like 14 snaps in the last game, but I'm mm-hmm. sure he was requested. Um, I didn't particularly specifically request him, but I'm sure someone did because um, he's a, he's a good guy to talk to typically. And you got some insight into what happened on that crucial play early in the game where I thought it was funny that he said, that's a play that I have screwed up on in the past. Mm-hmm. And that, that sort of, um, this is the way that that, that quarterback um, keeper that they run um, toward the boundary like that. And he said that he, you know, I tried to get kind of his viewpoint of what happened on the play because he's downfield blocking with his back to the play as Hartman starts breaking towards the sideline. And now he has to shed his block and turn and run the other way. And it's just him. Like he's the last line of defense. He's got to get there and like getting there, meeting him at the sticks and and getting just enough of him to keep him i mean they had to people remember like they had to replay review it to find to see that um hartman didn't get that first down and it just it's a it changes the complexion of that game if if notre dame keeps that drive going like who knows how that game turns out so just a, a huge moment for him to be you know mentally and physically ready for despite the obvious you know not getting to play as much as he probably wants to even as much as we sort of thought that Jim Knowles was hinting that he would play this year Mm -hmm. and um, this was his his biggest moment of the season by far one of the biggest of his career to to step up like that and just need to to kind of get his perspective on exactly what happened on that play we got Cody Simon for 20 minutes on Wednesday afternoon and uh, it was a lot of the same. Que- it was a lot of questions about, you know, how do you feel about Ryan Day, you know, having your back in those situations. And Cody Simon handled a lot of those questions like a pro. It was I can't comment on his comments, but you know, we already knew that Ryan Day had our backs. And Cody Simon is going to make a great coach one day. 
I, I, that's what I learned about Cody Simon sitting here. Every time I've talked to, we talk with him, I feel like he's either going to make a really good coach or just a really good businessman one day because he already knows how to talk to talk. That's about it. Listen, we talk with three guys, and we're not going to talk to anybody again until Tuesday. So that wraps up. That'll wrap up this pod. Andrew and I will be back for the Friday pod talking recruiting, talking wide receiver recruiting. I'm super excited about that because everybody knows I love wide receivers. And then Nathan and I will be back on the Monday pod, and we're going to have an in-depth conversation about the best two quarterbacks still on Ohio State's schedule. That's Drew Aller and J.J. McCarthy. So for Nathan Baird, for Andrew Gillis, sign up for the text, 614-350-3315. And that was Buckeye Talk.